Hello and welcome to another episode of Future of Tax, the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. For today's episode, we're looking at your corporate structure. Grant Wardle-Johnson, tax policy leader, KPMG International, will be leading the conversation. And he's joined by Hugh Salome, partner, KPMG Switzerland, and Lika Mutsars, senior tax manager, KPMG Myberg & Co., as they discuss the different factors that can be affecting your corporate structure today. Grant, over to you. Thanks very much for that introduction. Today, we're going to look at an overriding theme of looking at your structure, and indeed one element of that. I'm joined by Hugh Salome and Lika Mustiers to help us unpack this initiative. Now's a good time to look at your structure generally in terms of changes that are coming with Pillar 2, the EU Unshell initiative, gearing changes in many jurisdictions over the last few years, and anti-hybrid laws. Also, there are business changes in terms of supply chains brought about by COVID and certain Ukraine war energy dilemma. First, we'd like to look, though, at the treaty anti-abuse rules that came about as a result of BEPS 1.0. Those rules introduced either a principal purpose test or an LOB, which is a limitation of benefits article, and was a minimum standard under BEPS 1.0. I'm going to start with Hugh. Can you explain the principal purpose test and the limitation of benefits articles and why did most adopt for the principal purpose test when they were given an option? Yes, of course. Well, let me start with the, the PPT. The, the PPT aims at denying the benefit of double taxation treaties in all circumstances where a person is being used to extend the application of the treaty to someone who is not a resident of a contracting state, be it as a result of uh, the corporate structure that is put in place to own an investment or subsidiary, or as a result of a transaction. In essence, when the PPT rule applies, the taxpayer needs to explain, for example, why an ownership structure was set up the way it is, and if one of the main purposes of this structure was to claim the application of the tax treaty, then treaty benefits would be fully or partially denied. In other words, the, the answer to the question, to the why question, should be business related and not tax related. On the other hand, LOB provisions are quite different. They are different because they address specific situations of abuse. So typically cases where a company that is a resident of a contracting state is largely owned by persons who reside in a third state and who cannot access treaty benefits. Therefore, an LOB clause would typically not address transactions. LOBs are, are therefore specific, very specific anti-abuse clauses, whereas the PPT rule is a very general clause. And I think that that is precisely why designing or applying LOB provisions can be a challenge for many tax authorities. I think that designing an LOB provision that addresses all possible types of treaty shopping situations is, is nearly impossible. And when a general anti-abuse clause applies on top of an LOB provision, and, and that is generally the case, then it becomes critical to distinguish cases to which the LOB provision applies from cases which would fall in the scope of the PPT. And given this complexity, a number of states 
found it a lot easier to opt in favor of the PTT. And the reason is, is first of all, because this clause catches all possible types of abuses, but also because it gives more flexibility to tackle treaty shopping situations. Thanks very much, Hugh. I can turn to you now, Lika. How have stakeholders responded to these anti-treaty shopping provisions? And if you can put place that in a broader context, that would be great too. Thank you. Sure, Grant. Thank you. I would be happy, to, of course, to share some of my experiences with this. Let's look at how tax authorities, courts and MEs responded in practice. Let's start with the tax authorities. One of the developments we see in the Netherlands is that the Dutch tax authorities are focusing more on holding structures. The Netherlands is, of course, known as a holding company jurisdiction. We already saw that source country jurisdictions were raising questions, but now we also see that there's more attention from the Dutch tax authorities for distribution of dividends out of the Netherlands. Under the Dutch dividend withholding tax, a domestic exemption applies. This includes an anti-abuse rule, which, according to the Dutch State Secretary for Finance, is aligned with the PPT. In practice, we see that if you cannot support the application of the domestic exemption, you're sure to receive further questions if you want to rely on a double tax treaty with a PPT, because why would you need the tax treaty if there's a domestic exemption? This is, of course, a subject of discussion. The PPT is a subjective test and involves difficult questions of weighing the purpose and benefits of a particular structure. When looking now to the courts, they are providing now finally more insights into this. At EU level, we've seen landmark court cases on abuse, giving rise to an additional focus on treaty abuse. And even though these cases did so in a different context, being in determining who was the beneficial owner of certain interest and dividend income, I consider that these are equally relevant for the PPT and what should be considered abuse. And the ECG court provided guidance as to what should be considered abusive. And having a conduit company without economic substance, which cannot decide on how to spend the income as it has to pass on the income to a third party, can be considered as an indication of abuse. We saw that these cases also added momentum at Dutch level to reconsider if a safe harbor could should apply for establishing tax residency. Now we see that substance can no longer be checked off, but it depends on facts and circumstances on what is the appropriate level of substance. And this goes much further than having local directors, personnel and office space. But not only in the Netherlands, we see that courts are targeting treaty abuse. Also in France, Luxembourg, Italy, Spain and Germany, various lower and supreme courts have issued verdicts which are in line with these ECG court cases. And from all these cases, it's clear that the quality of substance and what is done with the funds received are important factors to consider. Think about the management of subsidiaries. This should take place preferably by own personnel and also demonstrated on an individual subsidiary level. Think about maintaining your own administration by your own personnel, having own office space available. And lastly, and I think most importantly, think about having the decision power on the use of the income you receive. Will you reinvest it or distribute it? Okay, so we have the tax authorities, we have the courts. Let's now look at what we see companies doing. Well, what we see in practice is that MEs look into setting up flatter holding structures, limiting the use of special purpose holding companies, not adding layer upon layer of holding companies, but only using one holding company. And that one holding company then focuses on establishing residence and establishing substance. With the ECG court cases and local interpretations, we see that MEs are looking to build on the right substance, not just ticking off substance requirements, but really looking into what substance fits the business. Thanks, Lika. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. Obviously, substance is a, a really important domain in tax, and the anti treaty rules fit within that domain. So, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Lika. Thank you, Hughes. 
and have a good day. Thanks, Grant. That's all we have time for today. But please join us again next time and also email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com. We'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.